Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our COVID webinar uh, on COVID updates from ICR in Setia Alam. Uh, thank you very much again for joining us uh, during our precious lunchtime. But I'm sure all of you would agree that if you're here today because you want to listen to two very important people, one is on site with me here, a very dangerous person across the, the table, but he is, he's got a BSL 3 plus, so I, I, he's pretty safe. Uh, I'll introduce him late, later, but the first speaker today will be uh, Dr. Hani Binti Mat Hussein. Uh, she is the director of the National Public Health Lab uh, at the base in Sungai Buloh. Uh, so she used to be my neighbor across the highway. Uh, she has been there since uh, January of 2018. Uh, she completed her medical degree from USM in 1988 and obtained a Master's of Public Health from the University of Malaya in 1997. She was the director of the Public Health Laboratory in Kotobaru before she was promoted to a current position. Now, both our speakers today obviously are lab-based personalities and uh, are both very iconic figures in our current COVID uh, program that we have now. And they will be speaking obviously on the coronavirus uh, outbreak investigations, looking at the laboratory perspective. So uh, first I'll invite um, Dr. Hani to take the mic, uh, after which we'll go to the second speaker before we have a combined session for Q&A. So uh, Dr. Hani, welcome very much to our webinar. Uh, the mic is yours. Thank you, Datuk Dr. Chris. Uh, so I'm Dr. Hani from National Public Health Laboratory. So I've been part of our national teamwork for COVID-19 since December 2019 and uh, till today. So uh, good afternoon and Assalamualaikum. Uh, this afternoon, I will be sharing our experience, eh, our experience and eh, not my experience in coordinating the lab services of COVID-19 for the nation. So my topic for today is upscaling uh, the national uh, or country laboratory capacities for COVID-19. Uh, COVID so can I proceed to the presentation, uh, Dato? Yes, please. Yes, please. Uh, honey, I think we need you to share your slides first. Can you share your screen? Okay. So, okay, this is my first uh, first slide. Uh, these are all the coordinators for COVID-19 lab, all the heroes <laughs> and heroines for the uh, labs uh, COVID-19 and led by our deputy DG, that is Yang Berusaha uh, Dr. Hisham Shah uh, Ibrahim and the uh, my left side is Dr. Arni Talib, uh, the National Head of Pathology Services, myself, and Dr. Mawadad from Medical Division uh, HQ, and uh, our heroes, Dr. Ravi <laughs> from IMR. And I will be sharing on the timeline of our national uh, country laboratory capacities for COVID-19 and our a component of lab uh, preparedness and a few limitations, especially in, in uh, first and initial phase. So for the introduction, um, the COVID-19 pandemic in Malaysia is part of ongoing worldwide pandemic of coronavirus uh, caused by uh, SARS coronavirus 2. And for information uh, on 24th of January, the National Public Health Lab received eight samples, eh? 
eight samples uh, from close contact to positive case from Singapore. That is the travelers uh, from China. And we received the samples from uh, Johor Bahru Public Health Laboratory. And on 25th of January, three out of eight uh, samples turned out to be positive for SARS-CO uh, COVID uh, coronavirus 2. So since then, uh, we a uh, few cases were reported, which confined to imported cases. And um, until uh, the localized cluster began to emerge in March. So the largest cluster was linked to a, a gathering held in Sri Petaling, Kuala Lumpur, that is in late February and also uh, early March. So, uh, leading to the massive spikes of local cases and exportation of cases to neighboring uh, country. So, this is the great challenges for the laboratory testing, especially uh, for our lab capacity. However, we managed to upscale uh, on, on this lab capacity. Furthermore, lately, with the availability of other methods of lab testing, that is rapid test antigen recently, and also the rapid test uh, antibody, where we specifically use for follow-up at day uh, 13. So, uh, beside the rapid test uh, real-time PCR, more capacity of testing built up. The next is the timeline of national or country laboratory capacity where in January 2002 with two laboratories, uh, the National Public Health Lab and also the, uh, the Institute for Medical Research with uh, capacity about 700, we, which uh, we then upscale the capacity further. And by mid, mid of, mid of uh, February, all MOH laboratory, uh, the public health labs, all the four other regional public health labs uh, selected 12 hospitals labs and also um, with uh, the existing uh, MKAK and also the IMR, uh, we managed to upscale uh, the, uh, the, uh, the capacity uh, in uh, mid-February and followed by the laboratories from the universities, ministry, uh, military hospitals and also the private uh, sector. So we uh, which managed to run the test and in early April, in early April, uh, a total of uh, 40 labs uh, are ready for um, testing uh, COVID-19 with maximum capacity of uh, 8,000 plus. Now, um, our capacity are 36,000 plus with 55 laboratories <coughs> um, managed to run the COVID-19 testing. <coughs> so this is the latest one and the next. So how, how uh, and what are our laboratory preparedness uh, for SARS coronavirus 2 during the pandemic? So we strengthen the surveillance activity for COVID-19, enhance the country lab testing capacity for COVID-19, uh, and also review uh, lab testing protocol, the previous lab testing protocol and validation, and strengthening the lab uh, biosafety and biosecurity, enhance the lab information system. And we also review, uh, prepare, and expanding the central procurement for all MOH uh, facilities.
and also a few uh, scientific dat data contribution and more from IMR. Okay, uh, the, for the first one, the strengthening uh, surveillance activity for the COVID-19. Uh, COVID, uh, so, upon alerted by unusual case of respiratory illness of unknown etiology reported in Wuhan, China in December 2019, we, we did close monitoring of ILI surveillance activities in our health clinics and SARI surveillance in hospitals. This is to support, uh, to support the early response and rapid case detection towards uh, potential outbreak of uh, COVID-19 in Malaysia. However, now we still continue the close monitor monitoring on surveillance for both ILI and also the SARI activity, but with the purpose to detect any transmission of SARS uh, coronavirus 2 in the community. So this is by expanding the Sentinel site throughout all the states uh, that is in our uh, 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 health centers. Uh, the next one is enhancing the country uh, laboratory capacity uh, for COVID-19 by reviewing the lab protocol and also uh, validation. So um, training to all public health labs and also the hospital uh, was uh, done by MR where in initial on the 30th of December, we, um, we did the training uh, by MR using in-house primer developed by Dr. Ravi, yeah? by Dr. Ravi. And, um, and then the technical training has been intensified and also expanded beyond the Ministry of Health uh, facilities uh, such as university and also the private uh, sectors. And these trainings cover pre-analytical and analytical requirement of the testing, specimen collection, packaging and transportation and also safe use of PPE as well as relevant technical transfer for uh, COVID-19. And in early stages also, we communicate with WHO, especially for the support on reagent, that is uh, primer and probes. Okay, the next is uh, strengthening laboratory biosafety and biosecurity. Um, for NPHL, followed by all public health labs and later to all the laboratories. So through the institution of biosafety and biosecurity, that is IBBC team, we have looked into the in-house biosafety and biosecurity requirement and also the practice of laboratory with reference to the WHO and also the CDC, uh, CDC guidelines. Okay, for uh, focus on the adequate uh, training on handling high-risk organism transportation requirement of uh, the biological material, the procedure relate, relating to the lab waste and etc. So the next one, what we did are uh, enhanced laboratory information system uh, by using SIMCA, the in-house web-based uh, lab, which was uh, being upgraded uh, for SIMCA outbreak, which was launched in 16, on 16th of March. And this was uh, being used by all centralized, uh, we compile all the centralized data collection for the country by, by all the laboratories, including MOH facilities and also private and universities. So in addition to the laboratories, uh, the mandate also goes to the using of rapid test kit uh, to use SIMCA. And further uh, integrate, integration with the 
uh, integrated with the system under the CPRC, uh, Ministry, of Health, Ministry of Health, that is e-COVID. Okay, this is the example what uh, we managed to compile all the data and information uh, from all the all the labs, eh? all the labs, uh, all the labs, including the private labs. However, we have a bit limitation on details info from the private labs. So, from all the data, uh, we managed to monitor all the specific uh, uh, variables. And also, for example, the special target group, the uh, MCO, close contact, religious group. We also managed to monitor the lab turnaround time, the positivity rate, and also uh, other uh, variables. And this information helps in the policy making by the top management. This is the latest uh, example uh, where we, we uh, monitor the uh, by epic week, the sample, first sample, and also the repeat uh, samples. Okay, the scientific uh, data contribution mainly from IMR, but I share our 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 scientific contribution from National Public Health Lab, where the first um, <coughs> the first uh, the three samples uh, out of eight samples we received, we did uh, the uh, virus isolation and culture in the cell line uh, where uh, it shows the presence of uh, CPE, eh, cytopathic uh, effect. And uh, further, we, uh, we visualize under the, uh, our electron microscope uh, where uh, uh, the, um, we visualize uh, the, uh, which showed the visible coronavirus with the crown. Okay. Uh, uh, this is uh, the main part, eh? uh, the reviewing and preparing and also expanding the central procurement, uh, which we conduct the disaster procurement to ensure uninterrupted laboratory supplies to all laboratories under MOH. That means for all the hospital, public health labs, and also uh, IMR institution, we did uh, at the central, uh, central purchasing. We did the central purchasing at uh, MOH with the help of, of uh, financing uh, department uh, of MOH. The last is, uh, we however, we had uh, a few limitations, but this is in the early phase. Uh, with the lack of local supplier and unavailability of local production for lab supplies, um, which has caused the significant delay in securing adequate uh, supplies for the laboratories. Furthermore, the major produ producing countries also uh, affected by the uh, same outbreak, which make the situation uh, worsen. For example, Korea, Germany, and also Italy. And during the early phase of pandemic also, uh, there's a sudden increase in the workload uh, beyond the maximum capacity, laboratory capacity and limited uh, capacity of outsourcing lab has caused delay in uh, laboratory uh, TAT for the testing. This is occurs uh, after epic week uh, uh, 12 where the uh, it's related to the uh, cluster in uh, religious group at Sri Petaling. However, we managed to overcome uh, the limitation uh, with uh, upscaling the country lab uh, capacity. I think that's the last uh, uh, slide. A uh, few words before I end. 
we test, we manage, and we must win. So that's all. Uh, pass back to Datuk, Dr. Chris. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Hani. Uh, hold on to your questions. Uh, the questions will come later after our next uh, speaker. Uh, so now, uh, let me introduce uh, the next speaker. Old friend of mine, and I was still linked to the Ministry of Health, Dr. Ravindran Tayan uh, is the head honcho for virology at the in uh, Infectious Diseases Research Center at the IMR here in Satya Alam. Uh, he is a molecular virologist by training. Uh, he is also the director of the WHO National Influenza Center, as well as the coordinator for the WHO National Polio Laboratory. Uh, he has been with the virology unit at IMR since 92 and has been involved in viral outbreak investigations including COVID-19, polio, and measles in 2018, 2019, rabies in 2018, Zika in 2016, Ebola and MERS-CoV, avian influenza in 2014. Suffice to say, he has been kept very busy. So who says infectious diseases is going away, huh, Ravi? Uh, he is also a member of the of several expert panels, including IMR, MOSTI, CRES R&D grant application, as well as the viral expertise panel. Now, uh, he may want to add uh, some more introduction in his, in, his, uh, in his lecture afterwards, but he will talk to you about uh, going forward uh, with the COVID-19 and what IMR hopes to do uh, uh, in the months ahead. So, uh, Ravi, you have the mic. Thank you very much, Dr. Um, very good afternoon to everyone. Dr. Chris, Dr. Go, and ICR uh, members for, for organizing a very good webinar. I think it's an opportunity for us to share our experience as well. Um, so um, this is the, uh, my content. I'll be talking about the preparedness of IMR in the face of COVID-19 and uh, the procedures. I'll be sharing a bit of the procedures as well as the coordination or laboratory service. I think like what Dr. Hani discussed, there are uh, four of us who, who actually coordinate the services uh, for the whole of ministry. And then we also did some escalation of COVID testing. Uh, as we know that the more we test, uh, I think it's very important to be tested so that we can contain and, and we do the management. And also because being IMR, the research arm of Ministry of Health, I will also will be sharing some research findings from uh, what we did so far. So basically, just to, to give an overview right now, uh, I, uh, since yesterday, there are almost more than 10 million cases, uh, nearly half a million deaths. Uh, Malaysia is not too bad. Uh, first time we didn't have any case yesterday. Uh, so far, we have 8,640 cases. That remains at one to one. And recovered many, uh, almost, uh, almost every. I mean, almost 8,138 recovered. And so far, we have tested nearly coming to about 800,000. Um, just a bit of preparedness, because viral genes being the uh, national reference laboratory for viral infection, uh, we are the reference laboratory for Ministry of Health for novel emerging and re-emerging viral infection. If you remember, back in 2009, uh, 11 years ago, we had the pandemic influenza outbreak. And that actually a lesson, a lot of lessons learned. Uh, that's when we actually decentralized molecular testing. Uh, and at the same time, we also uh, develop our own capacity, uh, our own capacity to detect viral infection, especially those of, of an important public health, uh, important in Malaysia. That includes them, and mainly most of the viral, uh, we have the capacity, including Ebola, Marburg, Lhasa, Crimean Congo, uh, fever, uh, yellow fever, we are, because we have the vectors as well. And how do we go about is basically looking at uh, real-time PCR. 
Um, um, of course, we don't have the virus, but we have what we call synthetic effect of the virus so that we can use that as a positive control. Uh, so because of our availability uh, um, of that, uh, we start hearing some kind of rumors uh, coming from China, basically in late 2000, I mean December, that there could be some possible um, emergence of new coronavirus. So, so when, when we hear that, so we go back and visit our um, SOP, where how do we, in terms of novel coronavirus, what are the mechanisms, what are the, the, the uh, regions we have? Um, so we do have what we call a pan corona region, meaning pan corona, meaning uh, it's, a, it's a kind of uh, um, uh, pan corona primers which can detect all coronavirus, but we don't we don't know whether it can be used to detect this this uh, this new novel coronavirus. But um, fortunately, Chinese scientists um, have shared the uh, full genome sequencing of COVID in, in what we call as GSI. It's um, a global initiative for sharing even influenza um, um, platform. But of course, this is uh, because we. IMR is also a WHO National Influenza Center, so we can get access to the genomic uh, material. And um, what happened is that we have, uh, like, uh, if you look at the picture, so we have offices who are able to synthesize, design, and uh, primers for specific for coronavirus and COVID-19. That's a turning point. So uh, that really enabled us to order these uh, reagents, and it arrived quite, quite soon. At that point of time, uh, it's not too bad. Within a week, the reagents arrived. And um, I think from Jamal in UMC was very forthcoming uh, and giving us positive control. This positive control was SARS-CoV-1 because we know SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 share almost 85% similar. Uh, so which means we can use this. Uh, so we can even detect the. Uh, so we use that as a positive control, and you successfully optimize this test uh, on 22nd January. It's very important because, uh, like what Dr. Hani said, we had uh, cases of um, uh, uh, tourists from China. Uh, who, uh, who actually uh, entered Singapore, but then they, they, they proceed to travel to Malaysia. And because I think one or two of them were uh, quite positive, I mean, they were detected positive in Singapore, and then because of IHR, they informed us, and we tested within the regions that, uh, so we provided the regions to uh, um, MKK for them to test, and true enough, they detected. Huh? So that's a turning point, because we detected our first case of uh, coronavirus. Huh? So that started with the preparation, uh, that we must, uh, that means it's already arrived in our shores. Uh, so we have to get ready. Uh, so it started with that. So um, so how do we go about preparing is basically staff are trained with a normal uh, PCR method, but this is another refreshing training for them. Start with briefing. And because like um, uh, this is something new, so we have to collect baseline serum uh, from, from our staff. Uh, and then we also um, collect it now because then we have to compare the serum post pre and post uh, um, uh, um, testing. So basically, we also teach them how to wear PP, the proper PP, because we don't want any breach of PP during uh, actual testing. And um, the staff includes not only from virology, we also, because we know we may uh, uh, not to upscale uh, uh, the need, so we do engage in the staff from um, uh, IDRCs, in fact, this research center, as well as from other centers in IMR. So a lot of support we get from other staffs in IMR, and they all were trained before we have included in the testing. So, um, and also because at the same time, WHO uh, also shared a protocol uh, based on common Rolston. Because common Rolston had actually developed a protocol previously for the SASTAT one. And so they also shared on the 17th of January, and which also uses utilizes real time PCR platform for, for detection of COVID 19. So, that, that particular uh, uh, um, protocol includes two uh, targets. Basically, just like if you look going back to MERS COVID, or even uh, so, we have usually we have a screening target which is based on envelope, 
and then you also have um, a confirmative target or one a b which is sort of called rdrp so how do we interpret results basically based on kits that we use them so some kids have uh, 38 city value as the cutoff some kids will have 40 so basically we put 38 to 40 so any anything any city value that is below 38 to 40 can be considered as uh, positive anything above that is negative and also they have to look at the curve whether it's a sigmoidal curve and an interpretation but having said that if you have detected a case initial case uh, for the first time a city value of 38 to 40 uh, we always suggest to repeat the test with the fresh because sometimes 38 to 40 meaning very low um, uh, wire count it could be less than 10 so whether it is truly uh, infective or not so we have to uh, look at them. So usually what we do is request for a second sample. And again, because uh, moving forward, I think WHO do share uh, in, in, in places where it's high prevalence of um, uh, COVID uh, virus, uh, there's no need to go and, and do a um, uh, single target, uh, no need to do a dual target. So which means if you're going to do that, you have to do something called a correlation study. You know, basically look at whether it's uh, in Malaysia right now, we are not considered as uh, known because we have moved from that um, 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 high, uh, in fact, we have like zoning, like for example, red zone, where at that point of time, you have more cases. Uh, and so basically now it's not so. Uh, so so we still go back to the uh, screening and, and, and performative target. So it's that's the gist of, uh, but if there are needs to look forward, we have to have a correlation study, meaning that compare the two markers to one markers and see if it's correlated, that's fine. So how do we report results? So all these results must be important because because uh, after you test, you have to contain them and so that you are in contact tracing. So immediately you have to inform uh, CPRC and that if you look at the graph, that's how a typical sigmoidal curve looks like. And so basically it has to be sigmoidal. That's when we, we, we will um, think it's positive, basically interpret them. And also um, we have the system, online system based in um, um, MKK, which is called SIMCAR. This is very important where everybody report in the same database we can capture the, the um, um, in, in the report because every morning we have to present uh, in the meeting so this is very important for us to report uh, cases and all. And because one way of uh, initially IMR and MKK was doing but then you know uh, we never know uh, so, so escalate, uh, to, to escalate testing we do conduct training uh, as, as early as 30th January we invited 12 uh, hospitals and uh, basically all um, uh, state hospitals except Kana because uh, they, they usually for a small hospital they send samples to LSTAR and as well as the M five MKAs and one MKK as well as four MKA and uh, hoping to decentralize the testing. So we did the training on the 30th uh, January and then um, uh, after that we do uh, what we have is after that when we test them they do have to send at the initial stage the first two weeks they have to send the positive cases that they detected sent to IMR and we do uh, repeat and make sure it is, 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 is uh, basically at that point of time early stage you want to make sure reporting is, is uh, I mean, as, as accurate as possible huh? and now we are also going to provide what we call EQAP yeah? it's actually a proficiency testing uh, to all MOH testing laboratory to ensure competency is still there and also because a part of enhancing the uh, or increased capacity of testing we also would like to look at private laboratories whether they can also because basically um, and going back at, at pandemic influenza, at one point only IMR and uh, were doing, and we get a lot of samples and we cannot cope because basically it's important you test immediately and it, so that you know that the PAP is shorter so that you can trace and you can contain. So because of that, we want more people to be, uh, more facility uh, able to test them. Huh? So we did uh, what we call as um, uh, training, but basically this 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 uh, slide shows the training that we conducted on 30th January to all the 
government facilities. Huh? Uh, this, uh, that subsequent to that, uh, so they are based in everywhere. Now, in fact, uh, there are also, uh, these are all labs that has molecular um, uh, uh, testing laboratory. But in addition to that, we also want to, yeah, we actually included more hospitals like Cebu, uh, Tawa, you know, but they may not have a laboratory, they may have in future. So what we, we, what we plan is to give an uh, easy uh, gene expert where you can just uh, solve that. You know, basically, so there are some ways of detection, huh? laboratory capacity. Uh, this is just a picture that we share the coordination laboratory service and the Ministry of Health. Um, the advisor is Dr. Shamsha Ibrahim. This picture was uh, actually we snapped at uh, <laughs> uh, so gathering. So it's all social distancing is there. So you know, and and so to, just to introduce this, Dr. Ani Talib, HKL, Dr. Hani I think you just listened from just now, Dr. Mawara Ghazali from uh, Perkembangan and me. So our service, in, in addition to every morning, we have to report. Uh, to uh, during that uh, the meeting by the third DG, we also um, provide some suggestions. We also coordinate purchasing regions equipment for the other facility. Um, this through central uh, purchasing, setting up SA monitoring region because we have to ensure at the point one point was very critical. If you look at in March at that point, uh, because after the the um, uh, I mean case increase after the city planning. Uh, uh, so a lot of people would like, and same simultaneously, there also increase in cases in, in other countries like Germany, Italy. So not easy to get reagents. Mm -hmm. So that's what we I think is important for us to develop local companies as well develop capacity to to develop uh, and I uh, know that testing. You know, it's very important. It's a lesson learned, but we hope we be for the future. I mean, it's good for that. And actually, we also evaluate kids and because you know on the market at that point of time, lots of kids come in, real time that comes in, antibody test comes in, antigen tests, and so it has to fill, fulfill certain criteria. So we do evaluation mm -hmm. and also testing laboratories. We do what we call as um, 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 uh, audit. Huh? We do uh, uh, auditing some sort of labs. Huh? So to, to, to include private uh, laboratories, and because it's very helpful that they also come in the picture. So the first engagement in private laboratories uh, and universities as well were held in early March in MKK Sungabolo. And then we invite them for training and to part and whether they can uh, they can write to Ministry of Health to offer testing. Yeah? So the procedure is something like this. So both IMR and MKK are involved in providing the accreditation. So we all, initial stage, we tell them, uh, you have to, I mean, the guideline says you have to, uh, what do you call that? Uh, screening target as well as a, uh, a confirming target, and we give policy control and TQ will give policy control, and then they have to show the graph. Yes, we seek model and we detected. Once you have done that, then we, IMR, will provide blinded samples. These are, uh, uh, you know, some are positive and negative, and we give the sample and see whether they can uh, detect according to what our, our CT values. And then if it's good, then only we probably, uh, you know, so, and then the last one, they started testing, they also must send blind, uh, five positive and five negative to us to make sure it is all okay. Once it's done, then we include them in, because in our guideline, we also have technical uh, lab guidelines, NS4A, we list them there. This is just to tell them, I mean, people that they, they can, you know, people who want to send the samples to a private lab, they can send to them. Mm -hmm. To actually to help um, uh, testing, uh, to increase capacity. Yeah? So uh, started in February, 2020. So right now, if you look at the capacities, we have about, up to 36,000, we can do that testing. Earlier stage, maybe in a few hundred, but maybe upscale and all. Uh, so this includes all these laboratories here, like I think Dr. Nahani did present that. And in IMR, earlier, because you look at uh, how we, we, we were testing uh, our lab, uh, our testing lab was actually initially in Jalan Pahang. At the point of time, we can only test between 800 to 1,000 tests per day because of the, you know, the equipment, and we only have uh, 
uh, mostly it's manual extraction and, 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 and a lot of stuff. Then we increase the capacity per day to 5,000 tests in an IMR NIH with a new lab. So we get these pictures from there. So we have automation from there and also increased manpower to help out, uh, especially data key in because when you have samples coming in, uh, it's very important because let's say you get 2,000 uh, forms, it's not easy to, so, so we have people to key in the data. So this is actually our view of what's happening. So we receive sample, we process, and one, one step we, we do uh, ensure is inactivated samples so that the least it's a risk, less risk of uh, exposure to staff and then um, PCR extraction and then we do the so we have also a staff who will actually validate the result to ensure uh, so it is in SIMCA the validate result and it goes immediately so which means people can get access to the data from the site let's say a request like PKD or hospital they can just go into they are all given as um, a password they can trace the result basically then so it's quite it's online it's real time uh, so basically, that's just part of, a, of, of, of the laboratory testing. So I'll just just uh, share some of these uh, research findings that uh, IMR managed to do in the actually in, in a small window of time. Basically, we're very much involved in, in, in testing, but at the same time, we do have some window of testing. So we look at um, what are the best clinical samples for COVID-19 detection. Um, of course, um, as a recommendation, uh, of course, the best sample with lower over respiratory tract, but because usually many of them drive home, it's not easy to get sputum. So the combination of NPS and OPS gives you 88% of positivity, followed by NPS alone and OPS uh, uh, 4%. So the best is always in uh, combination of NPS and OPS. And we also looked at because the infectivity of uh, Renta, because we know some of them had long, uh, you know, when you do PCR for months, uh, they will be actually positive and we can't discharge them right so we, at that point of time we look at uh, ct value as well as infectivity so we work closely with the id in uh, sungabulo so um, we look at people that they uh, um, uh, ct value between 32 to 40. Uh, we inoculate into salina which is euro ACs, which is very good uh, for for can support um, 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 uh, covid 19 and um, because ct value is actually can use as a proxy for viral load and we find that ct value above 34 does not grow. I mean, it does not grow in viral E6, which means, in other words, it's not infectivity. So, which means, so that's what patients who have that early can discharge. But having said that, I think we also have guidelines uh, um, on, on discharge criteria. So, this is just to show that there's, uh, when people who are sent home, and after two weeks they come back, they is positive at 38. So, actually, it's not infective. Yeah? The first point of percentage very low, 8%. Well, actually, this um, uh, point, basically, the positivity. Basically, um, eight percent. They mean that among the, all the positive, but the others were like one, two, three, like that. So there's combination of uh, different. Some were three samples together. So so so. So the best is combination of yeah, um, uh, that. Among those, yeah, positive. Yeah. Ninety-two are not. Pardon? Ninety-two percent. No, no. no. Uh, among the our positive, looking at individual case, so our positive that is the highest. Yeah. So we also did some um, uh, uh, full genome sequencing using NetGen. Uh, we have actually uh, sequenced up to 15 uh, so far. Uh, 15, uh, the more, more coming, but these are already 15 already shared in GSI database. Uh, this includes virus from the first wave. First wave meaning that in the early stage, uh, with the first one to 22 of that, and after the second wave. And um, we find basically by looking at the full genome sequencing, we did the what we call as phylogenetic tree analysis, we find that all our strains belong to B and C. Yeah? Mostly were B, but now we see a lot of C as well. Huh? Strain B can be divided into ancestral, that means it's coming from Wuhan, and after that derived. Because as you get 
initially was B ancestral, but as you as yes passes on to a lot of people because it's an RNA virus. Uh, RNA virus will mutate uh, as you pass from the first gen to second gen to third gen, so you will see a lot of mutation. And also we see a distinct branching of uh, um, 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 of strain C. Yeah? Now we seeing that we know uh, strain C uh, also mostly from European and Singapore, but we also seeing strain C, especially some of those uh, members from the. Um, Seripetaling, um, uh, what do you call it? Seripetaling gathering. Yeah? So some members were mostly from strain C. Yeah? But fortunately, yeah, this is very important. Fortunately, we did not find the distinct mutation of B G14 G mutation, uh, which is actually based on the spike protein. Uh, you know the how the virus goes into our bodies through the spike. I mean, from the spike, uh, I go to the ACE uh, receptor. Uh, we didn't have that. Uh, why is it important? Is because of uh, there are some papers. Uh, looking at the G14 mutation, uh, when you have the G mutation, which is actually for expected to glycine, uh, those with the G uh, mutation, it is more transmissible, and also it may not provide uh, as equal um, antibody reaction as it will be. So there is some some um, 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 limitation basically. That. So currently we don't have. And we have done basically on the 15. Uh, I said we didn't have that, but we are still doing uh, doing more sequencing. Basically, this is just uh, on, on point. So we're looking at, um, uh, if you look at this slide, so you have the nucleotide change. Um, we're looking at spike protein only right now. Um, so some what we call is active mutation. Usually when you say active mutation, there is amino acid changes. Uh, some we say there's no amino acid change that makes it silent mutation or there's nothing. So it doesn't cause any kind of uh, change to the structure. Uh, in addition, we saw one deletion, a uh, deletion of five amino acid in that one, one particular case. But we couldn't see anything whether because that's it. The mutation, the deletion is only in that virus and then that particular strain, and not, we didn't see anything. So sometimes deletion can result in a very poor, uh, the virus can just disappear, or sometimes the other way around. So we're not sure. But most importantly, um, currently we didn't find any B614 G in the spike protein. Um, and also other reported mutation like S943, uh, these are all from spike, we did not find any deletion. Uh, so far, basically, that, that's all. So um, this is an overview. So thank you very much for your attention. Uh, thank you, Dr. Ravi. Thank you very much. Uh, now, um, we are open for questions. And I'm sure all of you who are familiar with the webinar will know how to post your questions uh, into uh, our usual format. We are still using Slido, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so proceed that way. But um, I have a few questions. I'm ready to go. Maybe. Uh, ask Ani Tarik to share hospital. Level. All right. Oh, okay. Uh, is Ani Ani ready? Hi, Dr. Ani. Oh, Hi, Ani. Hi. Uh, and let me introduce Dr. Ani Talib. She is the head honcho of all the pathology services in the Ministry of Health Hospital. So she's really big gun here. All right. So nice to see you, Ani. Uh, so uh, I'll pass it to you first for, for a few comments before we go to the Q&A. Uh, Dr. Ani. I, I thought of, uh, you know, joining this webinar to, to see my friends perform <laughs> and to give them the support. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, well, I, I jumped into this, uh, into this group much later. Uh, I think I joined late in February or sometime early March. Uh, basically, just to fill up the gap between the health side and the IMR because there are many uh, of the testing centers which are also from the hospital labs which they have actually roped in to upscale the, the testing. 
So uh, they need uh, somebody to become the ears and the eyes and the mouth, the, 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 the liaison for the hospital laboratories. So that's when I started to uh, join uh, the group. So um, basically all have been done by Honey and, uh, and Ravi actually. They've done the training, uh, but uh, there are some uh, issues with regards to uh, interpreting of tests and with regards to troubleshooting of you know the technicalities so uh, we um my my role at that time was to to organize the the cme for them uh, include ravi and honey together and we discuss issues related to that uh, you know interpretation and uh, all the shortfalls in the quality during the testing so um, we had a few uh, sessions then, and we also have our own um, uh, kind of um, WhatsApp group to discuss over these things. Actually, basically, the, the test, the 12 testing centers, uh, uh, they, they already have uh, done PCR uh, testing activities for uh, influenza as well as MERS-CoV. Uh, so they are not um, uh, strange to this uh, testing. So um, they, are, they, are, they do fine. In fact, my all, all these uh, testing centers have uh, clinical microbiologists. They have good scientific officers. So actually there was uh, not much issue, but just to make sure that uh, the the running is smooth and there's no gap in in between because you know they are not there at the at the uh, receiving end. So um, the other thing is um, we we actually uh, uh, when you know these testing centers have their own uh, system to report to. So. It was quite a, a, a difficult time to get all the data in place, you know, the results and making sure that um, they report the, 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 the RT-PCR detected or non-detected uh, COVID-19. Uh, so um, the best is to have one system. And that was when I decided that probably we should all use SIMCA. There was a lot of hassle in the beginning, but uh, you know, um, luck, uh, they actually, uh, all of them uh, kind of give in and uh, put uh, their effort into entry into SIMCA, uh, and which was good because now we have a uniform data system so we are able to analyze, Honey is able to analyze the data well and we can get a full data for the national. And then after that, when the universities and the, and the private labs also join, we make sure that they all have one data, they all enter into one system. So, uh, and the other thing that, 
that we also do together is the pool inventory, uh, uh, pool procurement rather, pool procurement for all our reagents. At that time, we need to upgrade our labs, so we have to uh, upgrade the equipment as well. And as Ravi has put it, when you know when there is pandemic and everybody there is a lot of demand and supply is very low it was really very stressful and it's it's like we ordered we have the money but we couldn't bring in the reagents and the equipment and we couldn't uh, move forward without this so there are a lot of alternative plans that we have to put in place to make sure that uh, you know, the testing can be carried out uh, well. Uh, the other thing is um, we also keep stock of our inventory and this has been done by Mawada very well. Mawada is in uh, the Bahagian Perkembangan and she has kept stock of all our reagents very well and we update so that we know uh, who's running out of stock and who needs to who can redistribute the reagents and, and also we also coordinate the testing because in some areas, especially the red zones, there are many uh, testing that need to be done and there, the, some of the labs are overloaded. So we divert the, the testing to other centers which are less uh, burdened. So uh, this we do for even the East Malaysia, we make sure that uh, there is transport of specimen from, from Sabah and Sarawak to uh, Lembah Klang so that we can help out our, our colleagues in the East Malaysia as well. So I think basically um, it's more of doing the strategic planning for the whole system and every time you have to think of how to do better and you know you have to be innovative every time and the other thing is we also help the CPRC in setting up the the labs the mini labs in PLIA uh, so that they can they can provide the testing for the for the people who are coming returning home to Malaysia uh, so that you know uh, the home surveillance can take place faster and um, and those that are positive can be uh, diverted to the hospitals as soon as possible. That's all, uh, Dr. Chris, from me. Uh, thank you, Ani. Uh, no, no, don't run away, Ani. I'm sure there are questions you may have to answer as well. Yes, uh, sure, no problem. I'm sure you know this is KKM. Whenever you join something, you are stuck forever. So, <laughs> so don't run away, okay? Don't run away. Uh, uh, let me say this, and I think it's... Uh, uh, I'm, I know uh, DG himself and other, other high senior officials have mentioned this, but then I think there's no question, and we all know how important testing is in any outbreak management, and I think all our colleagues who have spoken so far have contributed a big way in making sure we have a solid testing platform. Uh, I don't think we'll be at our current position in the control of COVID without a strong testing platform. So uh, I just want to congratulate all of them uh, and thank them for their service, uh, for their sacrifice, and for all the blood, sweat, and tears the last uh, five months. The good news is Ravi is still alive, so I guess <laughs> it's okay. It's, you, 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 you survived it, yeah, which is so great. Right. And uh, so really thank you for, for all your contributions. 
Uh, I'm going to move to questions because the questions are getting longer and longer. So uh, it's going to be fast and furious. I hope all the speakers yeah. will try to be as brief as possible to finish as many. Right. Okay. I have just one issue I want to highlight because just for the sake of the non-lab-based people who may be listening in. Ravi, you mentioned something about CTs, mm. right? Uh, cycle threshold. Yeah. Just maybe you can just give a short explanation what the cycle threshold means in terms of the PCR platform. Yeah. So, so basically, CT value is actually uh, in the PCR platform is inbuilt into the machine where they, what, what it measures is actually fluorescent, uh, uh, fluorescent uh, signal. As the, um, when the, during the experiment, during, sorry, during the test, there will be uh, like what we use, what we call probe. And because the probe once is, uh, gets, um, uh, when it's bind to your target, that's when you will be amplification. And as the signal goes uh, more and more, it will be captured by a, a, a kind of detection in the machine. And so it will be like, a, a, so it's an inbuilt threshold, it's an inbuilt in the machine, which will minus the background. And as it passes a certain threshold, it becomes positive. That's how we will evaluate. Uh, but having said that, it has to be a sigmoidal ester. Uh, that's when we, we, we say it's either it's positive or not positive. So let's say a CT value, peak uh, says 40, so above 40 is negative. But having said that, if your CT value is, let's say, between two types of samples, who want to, who you think that's the higher viral load is the lower CT value, the higher viral load. So a CT value of 15 usually represents a higher viral load, which may also translate into higher risk of transmission. As compared to a person who have what, a CT value of 38 may not be, because very low, and also our study shows that 34 and above, there's no means of surviving, the virus does not survive. So that will give you an indication. Okay. Yeah. I just want to clarify because when we changed the guidelines for discharge, some people didn't really understand that very well. Right. It's just a fine-tuning of a positive-negative yeah. result based on PCR. Right. Thank you very much. Okay, here comes the questions, fast and furious. Uh, okay, um, I think maybe first question to, to Ravi first, all right? I think somebody asked about the heat. Oh, you're okay there. Uh, okay. You're okay. Because okay. We, can't, we can't ask every question, Ravi. You'll be here the whole day, all right? Uh, so. Okay, Ravi first, do you know if studies have been done in Singapore uh -huh. to confirm whether their reported 382 nucleotide deletion strain is attenuated? Mm. Uh, I know it's a mixed crowd listening mm. to this, so mm. try to be technical without okay. being too technical. Is okay. it okay? Thanks. Okay. So basically, um, 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 in Singapore, whether they reported 382 nucleotide deletion, uh, because there's a lot, I mean, there's a huge deletion, whether it's attenuated or not, we are not sure. We too had a deletion, but our deletion is very short. It's about 50 nucleotides uh, in one particular case, uh, which resulted in five amino acid deletion. Um, so I'm not sure because 382 is, is, is huge. Whether it is, they say they have to, whether it's attenuated or not, because usually in, in, in when you do a passage in your, in the cell, when you're growing, when you do passage, there will be deletion. But to have 382 deletion is something very unusual, but probably they need some more data. Okay, all right. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether it should be, it should be uh, Ravi or mm. Hani. Uh, the question here is about, of course, uh, our rapid antigen uh, test, uh, uh, which we have been using for yes. a couple of, maybe right. a, a month or two now. Mm. Uh, can someone maybe address this? Uh, maybe okay. Dr. Hani or Ravi? Yeah, so we, we did the evaluation uh, in, in IMR. The sensory uh, so basically, uh, our our take is that at that one point there were not many kids that were able to uh, uh, um, have very good sensitivity because uh, at one point we put a cutout of eighty percent. Uh, there's only one kid uh, uh, um, managed to get that. So um, so when you say sensitivity is basically the ability to pick the correctly of the sample and specifically is not to pick 
other like for example you picks up other coronavirus uh, which that's what we do as specimen or other other respiratory viruses basically that and so we have evaluated um currently one but there may be more because uh, when you do evaluation of rapid test antibody test you need to have patients in hospital but because you not many patients now we have what we call as uh, we also evaluate uh, sort of uh, what we call that optimized uh, spike sample is working very well and we have tested two uh, uh, tests and it's also within our so maybe it will be useful that way okay uh, thanks uh, maybe dr hani here uh, the, the question here is uh, uh, would our labs do heat inactivation of specimens prior to processing if so how is it done maybe dr ravi also because one way of doing to ensure um, uh, you know less exposure because so we use what we call uh, heat inactivation because basically uh, for ebola WHO do recommend heating at 65 degrees of course it's not ebola but we don't know how how so we use 65 degrees celsius uh, to ensure it does not affect the quality of testing so we do uh, initial step we do a comparison we do inactivation the same sample we got inactivation and we compare the ct values is identical which means uh, the reason why we do inactivation is make sure uh, the initial stage of processing sample we inactivate so that when it comes out from the, the subsequent extraction does not uh, require any uh, i mean of course they require but basically at the one point we also have problem of ppe so ppe the respirator and all will only use in the processing but as pixa after inactivation goes to the pcr we use surgical mask is fine because we do reassessment and because we have done the the isolation as well the sample that were inactivated and we also proceed with viral uh, culture it did not grow and we do pcr to ensure inactivation does not damage the virus and pick up rate so it's identical so no worries about it in fact singapore and a few people are also doing that okay uh, i'm going to ask a question myself in terms of the uh, the use of serology tests mm. as you know we uh, there's still a lot of controversy around the world the right. tests have not been so great so mm. far mm. Uh, so i know we have access or we're beginning to have access to some serology kits mm. now mm. Uh, what's the current situation uh, what is our experience with serology tests so actually there are uh, basically serology will only tell you exposure so so that's the reason why we don't want to use screening but it'd be helpful to look at uh, prevalence or, or so so um, the kits that are the two types of kits one is the rapid antibody test and also as Eliza Keenum. So, so this typically will tell you uh, exposure. So we are looking at um, usually IgM comes up day eight and then IgG comes up at day 14. So, it, so we are looking at um, as the sample and some of the um, RPK antibody have very good sensitivity and, and sensitivity. Um, um, uh, so more importantly for, for looking at uh, people who have been having the neutralizing antibody, it's important to have what we call as a neutralizing um, uh, antibody test. Uh, previously, you know, when you do that, you have to grow the virus in BSL3. But uh, um, I think uh, Linfa and group from UNUS have developed a kit, kit called CPAS, uh, and it is, has the ability to detect scrutinizing antibody, but in a BSL2 lab. There's no need to grow the virus. So that's what we're going to. Uh, so there are study that we are looking in IMR, looking at um, uh, both the longitudinal study as well as uh, we want to see how long the protective antibody lasts, as well as looking at a simple. Uh, prevalence where we work with NHMS, and so we're going to do that study as well. So over here, if, so so the Africa antibody may just tell you exposure, but more importantly, we want to see whether the antibody actually is a protective antibody. So we have to do a special uh, CPAS sure. as well. I'm just asking about the RTK antibodies. Mm. Of course, it shows 
zero prevalence. Correct. All right. Yeah. We don't know how because we haven't tested everyone in Malaysia, yeah. of yeah. course not. But uh, this would be a good time to look at how widely spread Correct. it is because yeah. we know a large proportion, up to 85, maybe even 90 percent of the population may be asymptomatic. Correct. So how sensitive is our RTK antibody test? So the RTK antibody test, looking at the samples that we have, confirm positive, uh, it can go up to about 80, 90 percent some of the antibody tests that we have in RTK and it can pick up more than uh, that. But having said that, so because uh, looking at papers that comes up from uh, um, from other country, uh, we are not sure how people, how many people are, uh, actually have the antibody. So this is because it's a panel of samples, truly positive and we test for sensitivity. But how in the in the population, so this is very, because papers that come from like Milan or even from Hubei, it's about 10%, uh, even in a high, so we're not sure whether the virus is so clever that it, it sort of hides and does not expose to the immune system. So there are things that we have to learn. Uh, and, and sure, that, yeah. sure. It also depends how long after the infection you do the RTK and the body test. Correct. That might affect it as well. Yeah. All right, I, I, won't, I won't take all the time asking my own questions. Well, can Sorry. I add on? Sorry? Can I add on? Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. Uh, maybe I would like to add on uh, serology testing. At present, uh, our Ministry of Health already uh, used the rapid test antibody. But then for, the, uh, for those who are positive on day one, sorry, for those who are negative for day one, they have to repeat at day 13 before discharge from house, uh, home surveillance uh, order. Yeah, so that's part of the uh, public health uh, uh, policy, isn't it? It's, yes. The KA has already started that. Yes, thank you. Right, okay. Uh, I, I'm going to ask uh, Ani a question because you, have, you, you look after all the service labs in, in all the Ministry of Health. Uh, Ani, as we go forward, uh, the numbers now look good, uh, but of course all of us are nervous about possible second surge, you know, as we open up the economy, there'll be more human, human to human interactions. So I think we all need to be prepared for, for a surge. So going forward, uh, how do you think, what are the major challenges you foresee uh, for our laboratory services in dealing with the surge? Uh, I, I think we are prepared well, but going forward, are there any areas that you think that may be a problem for us going forward? Um. Well, um, going forward to research, we must make sure that all our laboratories are, are fully stocked with, um, you know, uh, able to carry out the test uh, immediately when there's a search. And uh, they should uh, look into the quality of the testing. I think. Quality of testing is important because uh, then uh, we are assured that whatever test that we produce, it, results that we produce is reliable. So um, we uh, in the we are already setting up the quality committee to make sure that these laboratories uh, comply to the standards and also to the. Uh, quality assurance uh, program. So um, we make sure that uh, these uh, laboratories also take part in external quality assurance in future. Um, other than that is um, um, increasing the capacity in uh, those areas which we 
uh, think we can open um, up labs, but um, they probably will go for more of um, POCT kind of uh, testing rather than full molecular testing because it's not um, what you call it cost effective to have many molecular labs. It's not easy to maintain. Yes, yes. Thank you, Ani. I mean, yeah, it's challenging as we go forward, uh, especially now when the numbers have come down. So people might be more relaxed with with all the procedures. So keeping them on their toes would be would be important. Now, uh, I, I'll squeeze in two very uh, quick questions. Yeah, interrelated. Uh, back to Ravi. Sorry, Ravi, you mm. sit, you're sitting too close to me, so yeah. I have to ask you questions. Yeah. Uh, clarification from some of the listeners yeah. about the oral and yeah. nasal pharyngeal. Yeah. I think when they saw 8%, important. I think you have to explain yeah. that. Correct, correct. I'm, I'm, I think there is some miss, uh, maybe the way I presented. Basically, looking at the data here, I look, we look at 23 types of sample. Right? So actually, 8% is actually overall. But looking at, um, 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 this is uh, done in April, this is sample in April. A positive sample at that point of time we, we had almost 1200 something positive out of that 649 were combination that means 50 percent of our positive actually is combination of oral and nasopharyngeal so 80 percent is overall but uh, including on negative but we take the, all the positive alone 1246 at that in april 20th and out of that 649 were combination of so it's more than 50 percent slightly more than 50 percent and then nasopharyngeal is about 21% alone, alone, and if you look at oral pressure, it's about 20%. So alone, 20 is about 21, but if you combine both, it gives you about almost 640 positive, which is about almost 51%. So the best is a combination. Sorry, the 8% is overall without a negative. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I, I just want to give a yeah, chance to clarify. I'm just worried. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they'll think that uh, the test is so insensitive. <laughs> but having said that, I think it's very important. A negative test, and I need to repeat it, especially for the clinicians out there, a negative test does not mean the patient is not infected. I think that's important. Right because it's all it's not just the technical part of the PCR, but also how the specimen is mm, taken. Mm, a better mm. specimen, you get a better result. Mm. And also depends at what point of the infection the sample was taken, mm -hmm. right? Now, uh, unfortunately, I do have to wrap it up uh, because time has already gone way past two. Uh, just suffice uh, for me to maybe ask all the three speakers, Ani, I hope you haven't run away yet. I told you not to. <laughs> Got a meeting coming. Yes, yes, don't worry. So we'll start with you because it's always nice to let every all the speakers uh, have some. I call it pandemic pearls, uh, something that you can share with people as a parting message. So uh, because you have a meeting to go to, I'm going to ask you to start first, Annie. A quick last message, if you like. Oh, okay. Um, well, um, I think we all have to persevere and keep on our toes uh all the time and uh, i think um increasing knowledge is important so we really there's a lot more about covid-19 that we don't know that we really have to uh learn up and see what other countries are doing uh to uh improve their testing absolutely I thank think you that's all. thank you Annie. thank you Annie. and thanks Bye. for joining Thanks, thank you. Uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Ani, Hani, sorry. Uh, your turn now. Hani? Yeah. Share with us pandemic pills that we can take home. Uh, Dr. Uh, I think um, laboratory is the core component of COVID-19. 
and also all other infectious diseases. So we must be ready at any time. So that's my 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 last words. Okay, I guess that message is especially for your lab staff, lah. <laughs> okay, okay, Ravi. Thank you, Doctor. I think that for for us to come up from where to here, I think everyone. Uh, contributed and think uh, lab is one component and, and I think to, for us to combat together is something a very good lesson learned and I think we should work together like how is a success uh, and, and I think this can be used the model for future you know outbreak but viral outbreaks I just again we heard something like pandemic they say there's another potent pandemic potential you know, influenza so this is going to be that it's going to be just throughout uh, so it's just that we get used to it. Okay, thank you very much, everyone, uh, to all the, the two speakers and also our panelists, Dr. Ani. Uh, I just want to thank all of them for their time and effort and also for all those who have tuned in to listen. Uh, thank you very much. As a parting word, I think it's important that uh, yesterday we had no local transmission among our local people. We had one important case. Uh, we all saw the figure one yesterday, but I think it's a good reminder for us the, the virus is still out there. Dr. Tedros from WHO earlier this week declared the worst has yet to come. Obviously, he's looking at the global perspective, looking at other countries. And we, Malaysia, can never be safe without the other countries being safe. We are too connected, obviously. So I think I urge all of us to continue to keep on our toes. And I'm sure our laboratory staff will continue their good work and provide the support as we go forward. So with that, I hope all of us had a, a beneficial time this afternoon. Uh, time to get back to work. It's a working day for most of us, except me. Uh, and uh, we, we welcome you to join us again for our next uh, webinar on COVID-19 updates. With that, thank you very much uh, and have a good week. Goodbye.